Hey everyone, welcome to the A Catholic and a Protestant Walk Into a Podcast podcast. Uh, my name is Ben, and I am the Protestant. And I am the Catholic. I'm Dante. <laughs> uh, we're really excited that you guys are listening to this. Um, our hope with this podcast is to explore uh, various themes of faith and how they relate to our personal beliefs and the beliefs of others, specifically um, in connection to the beliefs that people have on Butler University's campus. And so we'll be talking to different people um, each week about some of their faith backgrounds, what they believe about different things in regards to what's happening in our world and uh, their theology that supports that and how they came to the conclusions that they have and things like that. It's just a way to explore faith in a deeper level. Um, yeah, through conversation. So before we begin, Dante and I want to take the opportunity to introduce ourselves. So um, I actually grew up in Eastern Europe. My parents were Christian uh, missionaries. So I grew up in a very strong Christian household and through that developed a strong faith in Jesus Christ. And that became the center of my world in so many ways. Um, and so as I've gone throughout life, even as I've come to Butler University now, it's been the center of what I focus on and do. And so I believe in the Bible and try to study it every single day. And so that's my religious background of what I'm coming into this podcast with. Uh, but at the same time, I see so much value in interacting with people of other religions and what it looks like for us to learn from each other and grow together uh, by talking about the things we agree in and disagree when uh, disagree. And so I'm looking forward to being able to have the opportunity through this podcast. Yeah, sweet. Thanks, Ben. Um, and yeah, I'm Dante Macaluso. Um, and a little bit about my faith background is that I was born and raised um, in the Roman Catholic Church. Um, my my mom and her side of the family uh, were very strong, devout Catholics. Um, my dad's side, also Catholics, but maybe to to a slightly lesser extent. Um, but yeah, I was I was raised in the faith. Um, obviously, I was baptized and went went through um, the, the sacraments. Um, you know, first communion. Um, you know, first reconciliation. Um, you know, confirmation, all the good stuff. And I think that um, when I was growing up, maybe like in middle school and high school, it was a little bit more of a, a passive faith where I, I just made sure I was going to mass on, on Sundays and um, maybe like went to my religious education classes and, and did all of those things, but not too much uh, outside of that. But when I came to Butler University for college, I definitely saw uh, my faith kind of take off and really soar when I was able to make it my own. And so I got involved right away in the Butler Catholic community here on campus, um, which I am currently the co-president of. And that has allowed me to like really develop my own faith and um, learn how to have a, a deeper and closer relationship to God um, throughout that process. So, so yeah, so that's just a little bit about me. Um, I hope all of you enjoy um, what we have to say, and it will be my honor to introduce our very first guest on the podcast. Um, it is Dr. Brent Hagee. Um, he is the CFV scholar in residence here at Butler University and also a senior lecturer in religion um, in the uh, religion, philosophy, and classics department here at Butler University, and I'll let him say a little bit more about himself as well. Yeah, thanks guys, it's really great to be here. Um, 
Yeah, like you said, I've been the CFE scholar in residence now for, um, this is my third year doing that. Um, no, fourth year. Fourth year, because you're seniors now. Yeah, um, Ben and Dante were my first, um, my first first year scholars. So I've been with them through the whole journey and it's, it's kind of crazy to think that you're leaving soon. Um, those four years have gone by pretty quickly. Um, yeah, the CFE scholar work is really enjoyable because we work together on interfaith engagement and discernment. And I know I've had great conversations with both of you about you know, where you're headed, and, um, what you feel called to do in the world, and how to put your faith into action. And that's been really great to watch you grow, both of you as students and as leaders um, and as people of faith. So that's been exciting. And yeah, I've been at Butler now 13 years. Uh, I got here in 2008. And I teach courses mostly in the Christian tradition. My training is in Christian theology, um, mainline Protestant mostly, from the Reformation up to the present. And so I teach a lot of courses on Christian thought at Butler. And I also teach world religions. And I teach a first year seminar called Faith, Doubt, and Reason, which is a really fun course to teach. Um, I've taught that every year for 13 years, um, two sections of it, and just published the book about it earlier this year, a book version of the course. So. Yeah, so Butler's been uh, Butler's been a wonderful experience um, teaching religion in a place that has a lot of diversity religiously. Um, it's a secular school officially, and so that's a pretty interesting context to do religious studies, especially as a Christian theologian. Um, so I'm a theologian teaching religion in a secular context. Um, so those kind of intersections are really fun and interesting for me. Yeah, thank you. That's definitely. You have a unique perspective, I think, on religion from being able, for having done that for so long now, um, teaching theology, um, having a background in Christian theology, but doing it in a secular context. And so, um, yeah, we would love to hear more, uh, kind of to start us out, just jumping in of what is your own faith background, uh, kind of what brought you to the place that you're at now in your, in your faith? Um, yeah, so tell us just more about your own spiritual journey. Yeah, um, I'm what we call a cradle Lutheran, um, born and raised in the, at the time it was the Lutheran Church in America, and then a few different Lutheran bodies merged in 1989 to become the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, which is the largest Lutheran body in the United States. Um, it's also the most uh, liberal or on the left Lutheran body in the United States. Um, my mother, until a few weeks ago, was a church organist, and so I spent usually three or four days a week at church in some capacity between choir practice and her practicing at church on Sunday, sometimes two, sometimes three services on Sunday, um, church camp every summer, Bible school every summer, youth group. Um, I think I spent more time at church than anywhere else except for school and my own home, so it was just part of what it meant to be us, we were church people. Um, and um, so that's always been such a deep part of my identity as being a Lutheran Christian. Um, I can't really fathom being anything else. I've studied a lot of different traditions and find beauty in a lot of them, and meaning and truth, um, but I always come back to that tradition that formed me and um, sort of gave me my worldview. Um, and it, it's just the place where I feel at home and I feel that it connects me to the world in a way that makes sense. And, um, it, it forms me into someone that I try to be a better human being every day um, because of that formation. Um, 
so yeah, it's just, it's become deeper and deeper as I've continued to make it my profession uh, to study this academically and to teach it. Um, some people think that studying theology can be a threat. I find it to be um, a spiritual practice and something that deepens my faith, um, especially when I'm thinking about other traditions and relationships between Christianity and other traditions. That makes me appreciate the richness of the world and also appreciate other traditions, but also my own, right? All of it makes it, makes it more um, just awe-inspiring and um, meaningful, yeah. So that's my, my faith background is in Lutheran Christianity. Um, I went to a ELCA college for undergrad, Gettysburg College, which is the oldest Lutheran college in North America. Um, I was a history major originally, and I took a course in the New Testament to fulfill a requirement. And after the very first day of class, I went and declared a second major in religion because I was just fascinated. Um, I couldn't stop thinking about all the questions that came up just in the first day, just talking about the syllabus and going over the books. I was just mesmerized. Um, and I never looked back. Uh, I went to Gettysburg Lutheran Seminary for my master's degree after that. Um, and then ended up doing my PhD with the Presbyterians at a seminary in Richmond, Virginia. And from there, I came to Butler. And so my, my academic training also is in Protestant institutions, undergraduate, and then two seminaries. Um, and so my first teaching experiences were teaching students who were training to become pastors. So teaching at Butler was my first experience teaching undergrads. Before that, I was teaching masters and doctoral students. Um, so it's been an interesting shift to have people who are majoring in something that's not religion, right? That was the first time that happened at Butler. Um, yeah, and it's been really wonderful. It's been really wonderful to connect people to the big questions and how religious traditions give us a way of interacting with the world and making sense of the world, regardless of what we might be studying in terms of a major or a career goal, right? All of us ask those big questions. And so these are kind of universal things that people are interested in. And it's kind of a privilege to be able to introduce or welcome people or, or um, help them on their journey toward making sense of those questions. And I think that's one of the things that religion does for us. Yeah, definitely. Out of uh, curiosity, what is, how do you think it impacts your own faith and religious practice to be a teacher of others? in terms of theology and people that may not have the same theological background as you or the same desire to learn it, obviously with undergrads that are just kind of taking a course for the sake of needing it. But like, um, what is it, how does that impact your own thinking through theology? And even as you continue to learn more and study more, um, yeah. how has teaching influenced your, your faith? That's a really good question. I think one of the things that's been so great about teaching undergraduates who might not really be all that into religion is that they have questions and concerns that I never maybe would have thought of before from inside, right? Anthropologists talk about how we always have blinders when we study a culture or a tradition because when we're inside, we have a certain assumption about how things work, but we can't step out totally and see it from the outside. But outsiders can see things that insiders can't, but outsiders also can never really feel part of a tradition that's not their own. So we need both of those approaches. 
to really see the bigger picture. We need people from the inside, but we also need people from the outside looking in, right? And so engagement with people and with students who aren't religious um, and don't have a background, so don't, you know, they have to ask where, where is this Bible book? Where do I find it, right? These are things that someone from inside the Christian tradition, it never occurs to them that somebody wouldn't know that. Um, but there are all sorts of really fascinating questions that come up in classes or conversations with secular colleagues or students that I never would have thought of that are fascinating, important questions that make me think a little differently about things. Um, see pieces of my tradition that maybe are more assumptions than we've actually thought through, right? Um, and so it helps me go deeper and to think through some of those things that never occurred to me, but are the first question that someone else might have. Yeah, definitely. I, I feel like I relate to that a lot because when you grow up in a context where that's kind of one faith tradition is all you know. <laughs> and I went to like a small Christian school, uh, went to church, you know, everything that I got was in relation to what I already believed in, in a lot of ways. And so coming to Butler is definitely you're interacting with people of different faiths. And so hearing even people talk about things in different ways and ask questions that uh, you haven't really thought about in maybe that particular way before is really valuable. So yeah. I'm sure it's even more interesting as a teacher and you get it all the time, like every day. <laughs> so, yeah, pretty much. Um, yeah. It's great. It's great. And it wasn't something that, I mean, I certainly understood that as an undergraduate, the same thing happened, but I wasn't yeah. thinking as a scholar and a teacher when I was an undergrad, obviously, right? And then my master's and graduate programs were in seminaries. And so everyone was pretty much on the same page about like their own commitments, um, more or less. We had people from different Protestant traditions, but we didn't have huge amounts of religious diversity and not, not really any secular people in the seminary context, obviously. Um, but then coming to Butler, which is, um, much more diverse religiously and in terms of secular commitments than a seminary context because a whole different range of questions came up that was really fascinating. Yeah, yeah, I agree with with both of you. I kind of had the same experience uh, when I came to Butler's campus and um, when Ben and I were on the Interfaith Council when we were freshmen, um, that was definitely um, one of my first exposures to really get to know what how other people think and like what their faith backgrounds say and how it might be different or similar um, than mine. In a lot of ways, it was cool because like, I, I realized that there is similarities in so many different ways that I didn't realize um, with like such a diverse group of people. But also, yeah, I mean, absolutely there were differences and I had to like think through those things and really come to terms with those things as it relates to like my faith and what I believe. And so, yeah, like you mentioned, you know, as someone who has become so like interested in exploring like different faiths and learning all of that, is it a hard process for you sometimes as someone who is so strong in, in your Lutheran faith to like constantly be exposed to um, maybe aspects where there is like stark differences um, with other faith backgrounds, is that like a difficult one or one that you embrace? You know, it's it's not ever been difficult. It hasn't. It it, it seems strange to say that, but it's always been um, exciting. It's always been um, something that I embrace as an invitation to think more deeply about the reality that's far bigger than we can ever comprehend. Um, to sort of leap into the mystery and to trust and, and to 
cultivate a certain kind of um, trust, but also hospitality. Um, the differences between religions um, are really different, right? There's a, there's a tendency, I think, sometimes when we see real difference between religions to try to pretend they're not really differences because we all just want to get along, right? And mm -hmm. the goal of getting along is a really important goal. I mean, I'm passionate about, about trying to end religious violence in particular, but also religious conflict. Um, but the differences are really different. And that's okay, right? That's okay. Um, of course they're different. Otherwise, there wouldn't be different religious traditions. Um, but I don't see that as threatening to my faith at all um, or, or a challenge. I see it as an invitation and I see it as, as something that's beautiful and meaningful. Um, it doesn't, I mean, it certainly makes me rethink some of my religious understanding of things my, in my own faith, but I've never felt, I've never felt compelled to maybe abandon something because another religion says something differently. I might have a different emphasis than I did before I really started studying that tradition, or I might understand it in a different way because I can see the contrast and that helps bring things into sharper relief. Um, but yeah, I've never really seen it as anything but beautiful. Yeah. Has it ever, um, has that process ever like inspired any like doubt in terms of like your faith background at any point? Um, whether it was undergrad or yeah, yeah, ahead. all the time, yeah, all the time. I think, mm -hmm. and I, I really do believe this. I think if someone religious tells you that they've never had any doubts, they're either not being honest with themselves or they're lying, or they're not paying attention, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Again, I teach a course called Faith, Doubt, and Reason, so like I think about this all the time. Um, again, I mean, I yeah, they, they've caused me to question things all the time, like you know. Um, Sometimes I'll look at something in another tradition and say, man, that makes a lot of sense. That seems to really make sense of the world and, and human experience. And I really appreciate that. Um, does what my tradition teach match that, right? Is it as strong as that? And you know, those are questions that just come up sometimes and think through. And um, it helps me to remember that maybe the point is not to give answers to every question, but to invite a journey, right? To invite us on a process of becoming and of commitment and of trust and of love and of loyalty, right? And of, um, and of passion. And so I remember that I don't have to have every answer to every question that's really liberating. Um, right. I have convictions, obviously, right? But that's different than having like everything figured out. Right. And so the doubts are on something that I fear, right? The doubts tell me that I really am seriously committed to something and that it matters that I, that I try to think about it, right? Mm, yeah. So me are sort of a confirmation not a not a negation of faith yeah yeah i think that's a really good segue too into like one of the questions um that we wanted to ask you um and i guess it has two parts but firstly since we're already kind of talking about it um what is one of the things let's say that that you've really had to that sticks out in your mind that you really had to wrestle with um one aspect of your faith that like maybe it took you a little while to like, like grapple with it and as it relates to other faiths. And then after that, um, what is like the thing that continues to bring you back to the Lutheran faith and that you like, that like centers you around that and continues yeah. to be grounded in that? Yeah, those are great questions. Um, 
the issue that I constantly sort of wrestle with and, and probably will for the rest of my life is the problem of evil and suffering. Mm. Um, it's probably why I teach a course on it. I teach a course on God and I teach a course on evil. And those are two things that I'm constantly like thinking through and wrestling with. I mean, what exactly do we mean by God, right? Why is there evil and suffering in the world? And those two questions are very closely related in the Christian tradition in particular, right? Um, and every time I teach this course, I sort of come to a different conclusion or a different response. I don't want to say conclusion because that suggests I have it figured out. Um, I come to a different way of responding to that reality of evil and suffering every time I teach this course. Because I'm in a different place. The world's in a different place. Like, so reading these texts again and again, and um, thinking about new texts each time to bring in. You know, Heraclitus, who was a pre-Socratic philosopher, he's the one who said, you can't step into the same river twice. And everybody sort of thinks about that and says, well, obviously, because the water is always flowing, right? It's not the same river when we're stepping into it each time. But the other thing Heraclitus meant is that we're not the same people either. Mm. We're not the same people stepping into that river because every time we step into it, we've had new experiences and things have changed, right? We're different. We're growing. Um, so that both of those together is why it's really difficult to come to like the final conclusion about something like the problem of evil. Right? There's different ways of thinking about it based on who we are and what's happening in the world. Um, yeah, that's what I did. I, just, I think I'll always wrestle with. Is that, you know, in my tradition, God's love is really central. Mm -hmm. That's non-negotiable, right? Um, yeah. you have to look around the world and to see a world of pain and suffering, and not just pain and suffering, there's beauty and goodness and, and um, triumph, I guess, in the world too. Um, but to see a world of pain and suffering and try to reconcile that with a loving God is challenging. It's a challenging thing to do. Um, I think some people have done better at responding to that than others, but I don't know if that's something that I'll ever think is an absolute, like, okay, I don't think about this anymore, it's answered. I don't know if that's ever gonna happen. So that's, that's the big one for me is wrestling with that problem. And it might be like right on top of my head because I'm teaching that course this semester, I'm teaching the evil course this semester. Um, yeah, so that's the answer to that question. Definitely the problem of evil is the one that, keep, that keeps me wrestling. Um, what brings me back to the Lutheran tradition in particular, I think are two, two things. Um, one is that in the Lutheran tradition, the focus is really on, um, the shorthand for it is grace and gratitude grace and gratitude that that everything we are and everything we have is a pure and utter gift of god our lives our vocations our salvation everything is pure gift and the proper response to a gift is gratitude and so to live a life that's framed in the sense of being grateful just everything about living is, is trying to live in a way that's grateful, I think is really meaningful and really powerful. Um, and that's something that's central in the Lutheran tradition. Um, and the Lutheran tradition also focuses on the fact that the human being, as Luther says, is always sinner and saint. The, the Christian is always a sinner. That doesn't change, right? But the Christian is also a redeemed sinner. And so there's, there's humility in that, but there's also joy in that. 
So grace and gratitude, humility and joy, I think are things in the Lutheran tradition that really inspire me and sort of shape how I think about things. And then the second piece in the Lutheran tradition that always brings me back is worship. Um, the, the worship of the Lutheran tradition. And Dante, if you were ever to show up in a Lutheran church, you would be totally at home for about the first 45 minutes. They would look exactly the same as the Catholic mass. Right. Until we got to the Eucharistic rite. And then you'd be like, wait a second, they're a little different. Because um, <laughs> yeah. Luther was a monk and a priest, right? And so he didn't fall very far and didn't change that much. What he changed was pretty important. Um, but it was very similar to like a Catholic mass. Um, and the liturgical tradition and, and the ancient prayers and, and chants and songs and um, Lutherans always have a very um, warm place in their heart for instrumental music, um, organ music, four-part harmony, congregational singing, um, chamber music with cantatas. And this is a very deep part of the Lutheran tradition. As a sort of amateur musician myself, it's really meaningful to be able to do that as part of worship. Mm -hmm. And I was telling you both last week when we talked, um, this is the longest drought in my life of not having received communion because of the pandemic. And it's really, it's really um, reminded me how important corporate worship is for my faith, being together in the same place to worship. But I didn't really appreciate it the same way until it was taken. And it's been since March, since mid-March. Um, so however many months that is now. Six yeah. or seven, yeah, seven months almost. Yeah. So those, yeah, some, some theological things about the Lutheran tradition that, that brings me back, but also the way that Lutherans worship. Those two things are really what keeps bringing me back. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I love that. One of my friends and I actually just yesterday were talking about Psalm 100. and our kind of conclusion was our response to a great God is great thanksgiving. And so we were talking about that idea of thanksgiving, and I think it, it extends too to great worship and uh, adoration of our God. And so uh, even just the things that you were saying there definitely resound yeah. with me. Well, thanksgiving is another way of saying gratitude, right? Right, yeah. Those all fit together. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, and uh, but uh, I wanted to kind of ask a little more specifically you were talking about i used the example of the river and it's always moving and then you referenced the pandemic there at the end but yeah obviously our world has had the river's been rushing past us for a little bit here and <laughs> it looks a lot different especially in the in the ideas there's suffering and challenges around us for sure right now and so kind of a question is as you've approached this this time of challenge whether that's for you specifically but as you've looked at our world go through a time of challenge um like what have you noticed as a theological standpoint? Have you, how have you approached that yourself um, as you've examined our world today uh, yeah. related to your faith? Yeah. Well, it gets back to the problem of, of um, suffering, right? And this is one of those things that um, in theology, we talk about natural evil and moral evil. Natural evil are things like um, you know, hurricanes and blizzards and tsunamis and viruses, right? Moral evil are things that human beings do to each other through bad choices or through um, self-deception or just because they want to inflict suffering on another person, right? That's moral evil. 
what we noticed though is that those two aren't totally separated, right? Vi viruses are just viruses. They just do what they do because that's what they do, right? They're not viruses don't have free will to decide to make someone suffer. A virus's whole point is to replicate itself. And it does that by being passed from person to person or from animal to animal. But when it hits us, we have the capacity to understand what's happening and we have the capacity to reflect on what it means to have a virus that can kill us and is killing a lot of people. And that causes us suffering, right? Physical like pain, physical suffering, but also sort of psychological, emotional, theological suffering. Um, and the fact that, you know, we're not doing a great job of stopping it we're not doing a really great job of paying attention to how we can minimize the damage it's doing. Um, those are the result of human choices. And so those two like natural and moral evil are kind of tied together in an interesting way in, in the pandemic. Um, in my faith tradition, the idea is not that God in some sense causes or allows evil. This is not something that's, that's in part of the Lutheran tradition. Um, evil and suffering happen because the world is fallen and because it's part of the human condition that we will do bad things just as we will do good things, right? What is part of the Lutheran tradition and I find really meaningful in the pandemic time and in others is something called the theology of the cross, um, which is something Luther talks about from very early in his career. Um, and just to summarize it, the idea is um, Luther and Lutherans are really fond of theological paradoxes. And so for Luther, if we want to know God as well as we can, we look to the cross. Which, if we think about it just in terms of sort of common sense, that doesn't make any sense. The God of the universe should not be most wholly known in the body of a tortured and crucified criminal. But that's the Christian conviction, right? That God is known most fully in the suffering of this person. Um, and so for Luther, that means that in the, in the depths of human experience, in the darkness of human experience, in suffering, God is there. God understands and, and knows what it's like to suffer because God suffered in Christ on the cross. And so there's nowhere, even the darkest depths of human depravity and, and pain and loss that God isn't already there working to bring something out of it, working to redeem it, um, working to comfort. And that's really powerful that there's like, this is not a sort of, sometimes we think that in suffering and loss we're sort of distant, right? We're absent. Um, in the Lutheran tradition, it's the opposite. In the Lutheran tradition, there's deep presence there. But there's, there's, a, there's some, there's, God is always there working in that um, and is present in that. And so thinking about the pandemic in particular, these horrifying, terrible, heartbreaking stories of people saying goodbye to loved ones over FaceTime or Zoom because they can't be with them in the hospital, that like, the feeling of abandonment and loss. Um, like to think that God is present even there is, is powerful. Um, and it's not something that we can point to and say, well, right there's God, right? Um, but you know, Fred Rogers, Mr. Rogers liked to say that his mother, when something bad happened, would say to always look for the helpers. 
there's always somebody there to help when something goes wrong, right? When there's a disaster or a tragedy or something. And he always liked to look for the helpers. There's always somebody coming in to do something, right? To try to, um, to try to be present, to try to um, make things better, to try to, to um, comfort people. Um, and yeah, so in some ways there's this sense that um, in the people who are doing this work of nursing and, and physicians and, um, you know, the nurses who are holding up the phone so their loved one can say goodbye, right? There's a, there's a human connection even there because there's somebody for whom this patient is a total stranger who is willing to do that, right? Willing to make that human moment happen. Um, and for me, that's, that's divine love at work. So it's not, it's not um, absence for me in that it's presence. It's a presence that's hidden, but it's presence. Um, the other part of the Lutheran tradition I think is helpful is that Lutherans believe that God gave us brains to use. Um, and so we should probably be working really hard to figure out a way to get a vaccine and a way to minimize the spread of the virus and that that's um, holy work as well. Right, that this is not this is not something that we should say. Well, whatever's going to happen is going to happen, and so we should just let it go. Right in the Lutheran tradition, no, like we have science and medicine as gifts of God to use to love our neighbor. Right. Um, so those two things together, I think, the sort of theology, the cross aspect of God's presence hidden in suffering, um, and also the fact that we love our neighbor also by doing science and medicine. Those two things, I think, are ways that my, my own faith tradition helps me make sense of, or at least sort of push on through the pandemic. I guess my role as a theologian is to point out theologically, like, how might we respond to something like a pandemic? I'm not a medical professional or a scientist, so I'm not going to be helpful in a vaccine, right? But I can talk about the theology of the cross. So we each have our kind of role to play in how we help people make sense of things like this, I think. It's part of our vocation. Is that something that's come up in your classes or in conversations this semester as you've talked about it with students? Yeah. What does that look like in terms of discussing with others? Yeah, it's come up like fairly often in the evil course, um, especially when we were just reading the book of Job. Um, yeah, definitely. Job is struck with a horrible disease and he has no idea why and how to make sense of it. Like, you know what, this, in case you haven't noticed, y'all, this is kind of relevant right now. Um, so we talked about the pandemic quite a bit when we read Job. Um, we've moved on to other kinds of things lately. We've been doing some Holocaust stuff, so it hasn't really come up quite the same. Um, it comes up sometimes in FYS as well. And it's just interesting to hear how, how students think philosophically or theologically about issues like this. Some of them, I think um, it's just, they're willing to accept that this is like, there are viruses in the world and sometimes they infect people and sometimes they take off and we have to figure out a way to stop them, right? And to, to save as many people as possible. Some students I think want to think about it more in terms of God's power, like they're somehow like, this is some kind of test or a lesson or that God is somehow permitting this to happen. Um, some people think about it in terms of God and some people don't. Um, and that doesn't always line up exactly with their religious commitments. Some religious people don't think of it in terms of 
God causing it and others do. Um, yeah, so like I said early in our conversation, like sometimes there are student questions or comments that I wouldn't have thought of that um, come up with some of these things. It's not so much the case that I hadn't thought of these various approaches to the pandemic, but to see students in the same university in the same class coming at it from totally different angles is really interesting. And so we can have some good conversations about that. Yeah, so it doesn't come up all that often, but it has come up. In terms of like, how do we think philosophically or theologically about something like the pandemic? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that, you know, talking about the problem of suffering, I mean, that is like really core to the Catholic faith too. Um, like suffering in the world as it, as it relates to like God. And, and I think that that's like one of the bigger like philosophical and religious questions that people generally have is like, okay, if there is a good and all loving God, you know, why do people suffer and why is there tragedy in the world and all of that stuff? And that's um, a question that we have to answer or try to answer. <laughs> to, to yeah, we have to at least respond to it, right? Yeah, yeah. If, if, as, as people of faith, <clears throat> it's irresponsible just to ignore that and pretend it's not a question, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, because it's going to come up. Yeah, yeah, and I... And, and I like and I like a lot what you said about how God is so present in those moments in tragedy and in suffering, um, and that that idea of looking to the cross I think is so important also in the Catholic faith of like, you know, God knows what suffering is because like Jesus Christ suffered and died, um, and experienced all of that and felt that pain and agony. And um, trust me, like the Catholics are reminded of that very often, <laughs> yes. you know, yes, uh, right I mean, there behind the altar in every church. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You just look straight to the crucifix and, you know, you, it's right in front of you. Uh, exactly. Right. So, right. Um, yeah, I like that. I think that is so, so core also um, to what I believe. And also the idea that, that, that God can bring about a greater good from that suffering too. like how there is, I think you, you, you touched on this a little bit too, about how like, in the midst of that tragedy, like there are so many amazing moments, like holy God moments in that, like I think you said human moments. Mm -hmm. And I think that there is really, truly like so much like good that can be brought about from that. Um, and so I think that we also should try to focus on that as well as like, okay, you know, um, there's like a, a reason for this. And like, we may not, may not, we may not be able to see it, especially not when we're in it, but like there is trust and faith there that like, this is bringing about a greater good. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that's an important element to remember, especially right now too. Yeah. And the, you know, the, the Lutheran emphasis that this is hidden, I think is really important. This is not obvious. This is not like, there's not a big thunderbolt saying like, here's God now. Right. Um, it's hidden and it's discerned with, with trust, right? It can, we, we can look at the same situation and one person will say, well, that's like, there's nothing else going on there. And another person might say, well, within that, we can discern that God's at work, right? Right. Uh, it's hidden under things that are, are not clear. Um, and that requires some trust and, and a leap to say, well, no, I am sort of committing myself to understanding this in terms of my faith even though I can't point exactly to why I know that's true. Um, that's why it's faith and not knowledge. Right? They're different things. Right. Um, and so there's always a chance that um, 
there's always a chance that others will look at the same thing and not see what we see, right? That's right. That happens all the time. Um, and we might not see something that somebody else has seen, right? We have different worldviews and different lenses that give us different approaches. Um, that's the way that I tend to see the world based on the lenses I've inherited from my formation, right? Right. And yeah. So it's interesting to think about how somebody who is not theistic would look at the same situation. Um, or how somebody who's, who's religious but not theistic, like a Zen Buddhist, for example, or a Jain, um, who has, especially Jains would be interesting because, and Buddhists too have a lot of emphasis on suffering and overcoming suffering, but they don't do that theistically, right? They do it in other ways. So it's really interesting to think about different, you said Catholic and a Protestant walk into a podcast, um, think about these various different religious Christians walk into a pandemic. Right. How do they think about what's going on, right? How do they explain that or understand that theologically? Um, right. In the Christian tradition, we have some ways of doing that that are unique to us. And other traditions have ways of doing that that are unique to them. And they're different. Right. Yeah. So it's interesting to think about. For us, it's just the, the deep conviction that this is how it works and we're committed to it. And other people are equally deeply convicted that this is how it works. And it's different, right? Right. But hopefully we all end up in a place that's compassionate. Yeah, it's definitely interesting. That's uh, something I've thought about because I know for me, like my rock in times of change and challenge is God. Um, and so I, and it's honestly, that's most of what I've known through my life. And so it's, I, I wonder for other people in different traditions, like we, everyone has something that they choose to cling to when things change. Uh, and so what does that look like when things change yeah. so suddenly and in drastic ways? Um, what can we choose to cling to? So, and, you know, the Bible talks about that idea of, of having faith. Faith is something that we, we don't see. I mean, Hebrews 11, 1 says right. faith is confident things we hope for, things we don't see. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And so it's, it's something that we, we don't see and yet we choose to put our faith and trust in. Right. So, it's the leap uh, that Kierkegaard talks about. And Paul, too, talks about this. You know, we see through a glass darkly now. We don't see face yeah. to face. Yeah. And we won't as long as we're finite human beings. Right. And that, people, and, right? That, and that passage itself, that's, I believe, First Corinthians 13. And there it is talking about, it's following up off of this passage all about love. And exactly. so that's the idea as well is while we're here, um, yes, now we see in a mirror dimly. One day we will see in full. But for now, we follow this way of love, right. the high, highest way, the most excellent way. Right. And so it's something that we pursue with those around us is what does it look like for us to love those That's around right. us in all times. Those are, yeah, in First John, those who those who are not of love are not of God. Right. Yeah. There's interesting connections there. There's interesting connections there, for sure. Okay. Um, Dante, I don't know if you have another question, but I was just kind of, kind of, as we wrap up, Dr. Nagy, if there's any other final thoughts as we've been talking, things are like, uh, this would be something that would be really important for us to touch on. I'd love to give you the opportunity to do that um, before we kind of close out this podcast episode. Yeah, thanks. I, I don't really think so. I think we covered a lot of really interesting things. Um, got pretty deep into the pool right from the get-go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it tends did. to be the case when you're talking about theology. Um, yeah, it's just really it, really great to be able to talk about these things and to think through um, 
you know, one of the things that I think is important as a teacher is not to have my own convictions on my sleeve, like out, not to have them obvious, right? Um, because I'm teaching students who, many of them don't share my convictions. Um, and it's, it's, I think it's sometimes, it's best not to create a situation where someone thinks that if they don't agree with me, then they're somehow not as valued as a student, right? So I don't really talk much about my own convictions. So it's kind of nice to be able to talk about those with you two um, in, a, in a different context, right? I'm not giving either of you grades. Um, yeah. So, and you don't feel the need to have to agree with everything that I, I think or I believe so we can be more honest and open about things, which I think is really valuable. Um, so I hope that continues in this podcast where you can ask those questions of others and have some interesting conversations about places you agree and places that you don't, right? Um, the three, you three, you two are from pretty different Christian traditions and I'm from a third one, right? And so we have a lot in common, but we have things that are unique to our tradition that aren't in the other two, right? So yeah, it kind of brings it back full circle, what we were talking about at the beginning. Like, do the differences divide or do they strengthen? Well, it all depends on how we deal with them, right? Right. Yeah. So yeah. I hope that continues as you introduce some more folks from different traditions. I think that'll be a great service. Yeah. Okay. I just have one last question. I just thought of it. Um, yeah. So yeah, just lastly, I think you can speak to this um, uniquely as a professor, um, but I know that one of the, the, the core tenets, I think just of, of, of Christianity in general is the idea of evangelism. And I know that obviously like Ben is very familiar with that word. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. We love that one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, and it's, and it's, you know, extremely important i mean i think to like all, all christians as far as i'm concerned like that is a a core tenet and so i'm wondering like as a professor who's exposed so often to all these different kids um with different perspectives and maybe with different struggles um how do you do that or not do that as as a professor in your role as like someone who teaches religion and speaks to that often, like how do you handle um, that? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, because of the nature of my program and department and Butler, I do not evangelize mm -hmm. in the classroom. Um, I would think that would be quite unprofessional and inappropriate and un unethical given the context of where we are, right? It's a secular institution without a religious affiliation. Um, of course, in one sense, just the way someone lives their life is, is evangelizing. Right. Right. So I'm never not at all. I mean, my students know, I, I think they at least know that I come from a Christian background, right? Um, and so in that sense, they, they maybe are equating something about what I'm doing with with the Christian faith, even though I don't make it explicit. Um, but I, I never evangelize in the classroom, ever. Um, I am, however, also a faculty advisor and board member for Grace Unlimited, one of Butler's campus ministries, right? the Lutheran Episcopal Campus Ministry. So if there are students who are part of that ministry or interested in it, I will talk to them about my faith journey um, and what, mm -hmm. what these traditions believe and what their history and how they approach social issues and things like that. Um, if they're part of that community and they ask, 
Mm -hmm. in that sense, I'm not wearing my professor hat. I'm wearing my board member hat, right? My faculty advisor right. hat. Um, yeah, so it's, it's tricky, right? It's tricky yeah. because, um, <clears throat> again, my, my educational experiences have all been in, in um, church-related institutions. So it was, it was um, a much more, again, I mean, my undergraduate school was not overtly religious. Uh, it, there was, it's affiliated, but it's not like a Christian school. Um, but seminaries obviously are pretty religious. Um, yeah, <laughs> right. people to be pastors and, and deacons and Christian educators and musicians and things. Um, so the transition from that end of the spectrum to the Butler end of the spectrum was pretty stark in a year. Yeah. Um, and, but yeah, I think, you know, just professionally as, as a scholar and as an academic at a secular institution, I, I don't see it as my role to do that in the classroom right. at all. Um, yeah. So that, yeah. uh, I mean, that I, I can do those things in my life as a member of my congregation, right? Mm -hmm. um, outside when I do work at like food banks or something. Um, yeah, but not in the classroom. Yeah, and I'm sure that you've kind of learned how to like, you know, train yourself to kind of turn that switch on and off and understand the environment that you're in and be yeah. able to kind of like, you know, adapt your mindset to the setting. So I'm right. sure that, that also maybe comes with a little bit of practice and a little bit of self-discipline as well, but. It does, it does, yeah. yeah. Um, I, when I first got to Butler, my first year, it was really hard not to write comments on papers. Right. <laughs> um, because I would see something and I was so used to teaching seminarians and I would see something on a paper and my first belief was, no, that's not right. And I was like, well, wait, that's not my place to tell them that their theology is wrong, right? I can right. say oh, this argument maybe needs to be backed up in a different way, or you're missing an important piece here from the course text that you should use to back this up. But my role in the seminary was to train them in a particular tradition to be pastors from that tradition, right? Mm -hmm. So I would yeah. say, well, this is, you know, that's an interesting argument, but just to be clear, this is not your tradition's way of thinking about this, right? Right, right. Um, that's totally not how things at Butler work, obviously. Right. So the first year here, I had to keep catching myself. Um, that, that, yeah, I, that doesn't even occur to me to do anymore. So it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. the training is, I think, complete. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I might think at occasion, like, wow, that's a weird argument or something. But I'm, I, mean, I would never even think about saying anything like that. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, ben, do you have anything else you want to add or questions you want to ask before we go? No, I don't have any final questions, but... <clears throat> Yeah, thank you so much, Dr. Hagee. We appreciate it. I think you've given us a lot to consider and think about, even just from this, during this conversation. It's been very beneficial to me, thinking about our faith journeys and how we think about pain and suffering in the world and theology all wrapped up in that. Um, so thank you. And even hearing about your experiences as a teacher in that context is really, I think, valuable for us to hear as students. So, yeah, great. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. Thank you again, Dr. Hagee, for doing this as well. And um, thank you to anyone who listens into this podcast, um, obviously, uh, we appreciate our, our listeners <laughs> as well. Um, and yeah, and obviously, you know, tune in uh, to our next podcast. Um, we'll have a different guest on um, from a different faith background, and we will get to hear uh, their perspectives um, as well, and hopefully learn a lot again, as we did here with Dr. Heggie. So uh, thank you again. Appreciate it. My pleasure. Good luck, you guys. Yep. Thank you. All right.